Hi, this is Krista Verity, and today we'll be mapping intermittent fasting on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Krista Verity. Krista Verity, PhD, is an associate professor of nutrition at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Her research focuses on the efficacy of intermittent fasting for weight loss, weight maintenance, and metabolic disease risk reduction in obese adults. Her work is funded by the NIH, American Heart Association, International Life Sciences Institute, and the University of Illinois. She has published over 60 publications on this topic and is also the author of a book for the general public entitled The Every Other Day Diet. Krista, thank you so much for joining me on the 15-Minute Matrix. Thanks so much for having me here. I was really taken by a presentation I heard you make at a conference that struck me from a research perspective about intermittent fasting and periodic fasting, which you defined for us. First of all, can you just tell me a little bit about the research around these topics and how you see that? possibly as a differentiator from how it's used clinically? So the main type of intermittent fasting I study is alternate day fasting, and that involves basically a 500-calorie fast day alternated with something we call a a feast day, and that's where people can truly eat whatever they want. And so the diet kind of just flip-flops like that, fast day, feast day, fast day, feast day. And um, I've run about 12 studies in that area, And we found that it definitely works quite well for weight loss. That's our main outcome, actually. So people tend to lose, the average. I guess the range would probably be anywhere from 20 to 50 pounds in about six months or so. And we've also shown improvements in metabolic disease risk factors, like it also decreases LDL cholesterol, triglycerides, blood pressure, insulin, and uh, insulin resistance. Those are some of the main things that we've seen like coming out of our lab. There's been actually not that many studies until recently. For some reason, intermittent fasting, yeah, it was kind of like completely ignored up until probably like five years ago, honestly. And now there's this like storm of studies coming out. I mean, I asked to like review studies all the time. Most of them are in the same area and they're kind of supporting those changes in metabolic disease risk. There are some studies coming out. It's not really my area, but they're trying to look at examine cancer risk and more of the mechanisms with that. So those are some of the newer studies coming out, but we're still waiting on the results for that. Interesting. So let's talk a bit about some of those differentiators that I heard you speak into. You talked about intermittent fasting and you talked about the difference with periodic fasting. If I'm getting that right, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you just spoke into one of the areas, which was the alternate day fasting, the fasting feasting model. But what about 
other forms of intermittent fasting? So yeah, intermittent fasting, it's a little confusing, but it's an umbrella term for three different types of fasting. The first one is the one that I already talked about, alternate day fasting. So again, that's 500 calories one day and then feasting the other day and that kind of flip-flops. And then the second type is 5-2 diet, which is actually really popular in the UK, but not so popular here. And that's basically just two fast days a week. So the two stands for two 500 calorie fast days per week, and you can put those fast days wherever you want. And then the five means five feast days per week. So it's kind of like a slightly easier form of alternate day fasting. And then a more popular form of intermittent fasting, or I'd say like the most popular one now, considering just the amount right. of people that ask me about it, is time-restricted yeah. feeding. That's basically when you limit the window of eating to a certain period every day. So a lot of people like to choose an eight-hour window. So really that's like, just to put it in more, more basic terms, that's when you basically just eat between, let's say, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, and you don't have to count calories, you don't have to like count carbs or anything like that. You really just consume all your food within that window and then the other 16 hours of the day so that would be past 6 p.m. up until 10 a.m. the next morning you just consume water or you can also do like calorie free beverages like black coffee or black tea those are the three different types so one of the specifics that I've heard you speak into at least for two of them the alternate day fasting and the periodic fasting is the amount of calories that you have on your fasting versus your feasting day so it actually isn't water fasting it is a low calorie day which is as I understand it about 500 calories or maybe with the periodic even a little bit more during the fast days can you talk into that? So yeah, we discussed intermittent fasting. So there's those three types, uh, alternate day fasting, right. five, two, and time-restricted feeding. And then periodic fasting is kind of its own oh, thing. Got it. Um, it's like its own. I know it's super confusing, actually. It took me a while to even straighten it out in my head, honestly, at first. But um, periodic fasting is a totally different type. And that's when you fast for the first five days of every month and you consume approximately 700 calories to about a thousand calories and with that diet it's a low protein diet so it's around 10 percent or so and that diet's been studied really heavily or i think it was actually created by dr walter longo at the university of southern california mm -hmm. and um yeah he does a lot of kind of like cancer and mechanistic research with that diet but um yeah so five fast days at the beginning of every month and then the other 25 days of the month are basically just do whatever you want feast days right so this is where clinicians may bristle a little bit at least the clinicians that are fans of this podcast with the do whatever you want. But I just want to get us into the concepts here. And, and to reiterate, just because I confused it, there's the intermittent fasting versus the periodic fasting. And the intermittent fasting includes the alternate day fasting, the time restricted fasting, and the 5-2, yeah. The 5-2. Okay, right. great. Thank you for clarifying that. And then what I'm really curious about is why do you think the time-restricted fasting has been the one to take off in popular understanding and research and implementation versus the others? Does it have more results behind it in the research or what's your analysis of that? Oh, it's actually the opposite. Where time-restricted feeding at this point has maybe five or six clinical trials and most of them just started coming out in the past like three years or so. So it's definitely the newest form. I think it's become the most popular because it's the easiest one to adhere to. 
We've run a couple studies of time-restricted feeding, and we found that weight loss is actually slower. So people lose about half the amount of weight they would with time-restricted feeding compared to alternate day fasting. But people like time-restricted feeding a lot more. So they find it, they just find it a lot easier to incorporate in, into their lifestyles, which I think is a really important factor of any diet, something that people can kind of maintain. It's got good feasibility. So I think that's why it's so popular. Whereas with alternate day fasting, some people really like it, but they really struggle with it because you, you know, you really have to just like limit yourself to 500 calories every other day. And it's hard to socialize with alternate day fasting because then, you know, what happens if your fast day falls on like a birthday party or something like that. So in time restricted feeding, there's a bit more flexibility where you can like move the window around to accommodate certain things. But yeah, so I think that's why it's kind of grown in popularity so much. There were two things that you spoke about when I heard you at the conference, which I'd like to look at a little bit more in terms of outcomes and understand if they're related to any of these types of fasting or if they're related to one of them. And the first of those was the weight loss that occurred just with some of the slice out of the time. So weight loss, let's say with the time-restricted fasting, you mentioned that even cutting out four hours of feeding time aids weight loss alone. And the hypothesis there is it's a caloric implication. Can we talk a little bit more about weight loss across the different types of fasting and what you found in the studies? Alternate day fasting in general, just to kind of summarize it before I really jump into everything, it does, it seems to produce probably like twice the amount of weight loss. So people will lose, you know, let's say two pounds per week with that diet, whereas time-restricted feeding, it's probably more like one pound per week. But then again, it's like time-restricted feeding is slower weight loss, but people find it easier to stick to. Whereas alternate day fasting is probably faster weight loss, but people really struggle to stick to it for a long time. So those are, yeah, definitely two things to consider when prescribing this type of diet. So alternate day fasting, it really depends. Like bigger people will lose weight much faster. We've seen people lose, you know, three to four pounds per week if, you know, people have like a BMI over 40 with alternate day fasting. Time-restricted feeding, what you're talking about with the calorie deficit. So what we've noticed in our trials and other people have noticed this too, it's really, it's probably the most fascinating thing with time-restricted feeding. Remember, it's just a window of time. So you pick like a six hour or eight hour window every day, but you don't need to count calories. So all you have to do is look at the clock. And what we found and some other people is that there's this like unintentional calorie restriction that's produced. So people tend to lower their calorie intake by about 300, 350 calories per day by just limiting their eating window to eight hours, which is amazing because, you know, people get really sick of like, writing stuff down in food records or recording stuff in apps and that type of thing. So, you know, all you really do is you just have to watch the clock and you kind of get this natural calorie restriction, which then produces weight loss. Amazing. What about insulin production? What have you found in the research related to fasting and insulin production? Yeah. So what we've seen just in general, the main thing that seems to be affected by fasting is is insulin. So fasting insulin levels tend to decrease by about 20% individuals with obesity. It goes down a little bit more. We've also tested this in insulin resistant subjects, and it actually goes down by about closer to 40%. So our next step, we really want to see what happens, type 2 diabetics, to see if basically it helps 
control glucose and insulin and whether or not people can stop taking medications or if it decreases medication use with that. But yeah, definitely. And we've also seen insulin resistance go down as well after it takes about four weeks or so for these changes to occur. After four weeks, we see really nice decreases in both insulin and insulin resistance in the more like pre-diabetic or just healthy population. So I want to take some of what you're talking about in the research into sort of the clinical realm. When you're working with the subjects to do the research that you're doing or to explore the research that's been done, are there people for whom fasting is not appropriate that's been discovered in the research? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I would definitely not recommend it for pregnant women or women that are uh, lactating, like breastfeeding. It's definitely not good for people with binge eating disorders. Those people tend to overeat on the feast day. Mm. So that, that's obviously a right. problem. And then there's no studies yet in type 1 diabetics. Um, I don't know if it'd really be useful in, the, in that population. And then shift workers also have a really hard time following the diet. Really good point. So we consider who the person is from certain perspectives. If you were to be able to speak to clinicians in the way that many of us are using intermittent fasting, is there anything you would caution? I would say, well, it's become so popular over the past, like, two, I mean, I think it's really just the past year or two that I would say definitely read the research. Obviously, people have access to, physicians have access to PubMed. There's a lot of, like, super inflated things being said now. There's just, you know, so many blogs and stuff like that. Um, so I would definitely, you know, go back to the research, read the systematic reviews to see what's actually been shown um, because there's a lot of things out there saying that it like cures cancer or it, that it extends lifespan and that type of thing. Uh, it's got all these anti-aging effects, but none of that stuff has actually been shown. One of the major things that kind of bother me right now is that people believe that the mechanism of fasting and like the reason that it has all these benefits is from autophagy. So autophagy generally is, it just means self-eating. Mm -hmm. And it's basically when the body kind of looks inward on itself and it's during periods of fasting. So periods when there's no nutrients coming in. And then the body kind of has this time to like heal itself by basically like literally consuming cell components and cells that are just basically malfunctioning. And this has been shown in yeast, but it's never been shown in humans. I don't think it's even been shown in like rodent models at this point. So at yeah, at this point, we really don't know what the mechanisms are. And there's a lot of like inflated yeah, there's a, basically anything around like longevity and anti-aging, none of that stuff has actually been proven. Right, which doesn't mean we can't make a correlative leap, right? But it's not proven yet. So I think that's important to note what you're saying, which is why I was so, I was so excited to hear you speaking because it's this understanding of how we use research in our clinical uh, interventions. Yeah. And some of it's it's some of it's okay clinically to try something correlative, but without the promise that it does that. My final question for you, Krista, and I, I so appreciate everything you're bringing forward. Side effects, any that you've seen with intermittent fasting, things that aren't wanted, I, the things that come up for me as a clinician, just to feed into this, is that so many people are trying it and they're inducing a level of stress 
that impacts other hormonal function, it impacts their sleep, it impacts their stress and resilience. Of course, that's not in the research. It's just something I'm seeing. In the research, is there anything that's a side effect? So yeah, with alternate day fasting and time-restricted feeding, I do have to say the first 10 days are pretty difficult for mm -hmm. most people. We see the most dropouts in that time. But if people can kind of make it through the first 10 days, then they tend to stick to the diet pretty well after that. The main thing we see is actually headaches. Mm -hmm. And that comes from people not drinking enough water, like basically on the fasting days. But once they up their water intake, the headaches tend to go away. Other things, people definitely, there's a little irritability in that those first 10 days, the whole like hangry effect definitely happens. But people kind of habituate to the diet and that goes away as well. We have seen, there has been some cases of mild constipation, which also tends to go away with a bit more water and, and fiber intake. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Krista. I really appreciate you bringing forward the research, kind of setting the record straight on something that's gone a little bit haywire in a fad. I'm not saying it's good <laughs> or bad. I just think we have to be aware of research versus clinical intervention and where we conflate the two. So I really appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and production support from Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook, along with sound production by Rowan Bradley. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode, go over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify, and we'll drop into your inbox with a super short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15 Minute Matrix. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.